Welcome to this podcast from the Bay Church. We hope you're blessed by the message. To find out more, please visit our website at www.the-bay-church.org.uk. Thank you. Well, they've asked me to go first, and I hope it will be a bit of a story night. So if we can have that PowerPoint up, I think it tells a thousand words. And so when I just thought about tonight, I thought we ended, for those of you being here all day, spring up a while. And I just thought, come on, hope it stirred, expectation renewed. Hope stirred, expectation renewed. And if we Romans, t- um, Revelation 12, next slide, please. And they triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. I mentioned that this afternoon. And I just think that we so often don't take time to tell stories. And um, I think, and certainly Gordon and I are very, very guilty of this, you just are used to your story and you forget it is amazing. And um, we just think, oh, well, that's normal. But if we began to rehearse our stories to each other, it was like this afternoon even telling their story of um, David being healed from malaria. And, and, and they've become part of your world and life and you forget, no, Jesus, that was phenomenal. Thank you so much. So I'm just going to show you some stories. So if you just click for me. That is Tahrir Square in Egypt. And um, my co-worker, Helen, he's Egyptian. And we had the privilege of being in Egypt right in the middle of that revolution. And that is what Tahrir Square looked like. It just became a mosque. And it was very, very easy to get intimidated, overwhelmed by what was happening. And in the middle of that, and you've got to remember in Egypt, that any public worship of Jesus is a criminal offense and imprisonable. Young people suddenly in the middle of that began to stand and began to worship because the whole place was about to just take off. You could feel the boiling uncertainty. And they began to sing, Our God Reigns. Our God Reigns. And um, they sang it in Arabic and they sang it right near the beginning of the square in the middle of all this going on. And as they were singing, one of the well-known muftis, the sort of Islamic teachers, who actually writes for the Egyptian times, so he's one of the well-known journalists, came up to them and said, what are you doing? And they thought, okay, now we're done. But they had really felt God tell them to just step up and do this. And um, he said, you're singing over Egypt. We never knew that Christians loved the land. We thought you hated this land. And he stood there, tears rolling down his face and said, thank you so much for loving the land. And we were shocked. And at the same time that this is going on, next slide, please. Now that is the Egyptian Coptic church. Now, you're only allowed to meet in the church. You can see they sort of spilled out. This is 70,000 people, 70,000 people who turned up for a prayer meeting to pray for Egypt. That's Cairo. Makatam, you know, the the cave church. You might have heard of cave church in Makatam. And this is um, Father Daniel and Father Simeon in the evening on a Thursday night. And they they had a time of prayer. And called the people to stand and pray. 
and 70,000. I just want you to see. Isn't that incredible? And for them to do that is totally illegal. But they're just there. And God's doing amazing things, isn't that? So these are the incredible privileges that I have to do. Next slide, please. So what about Europe? What about our dark continent? But I believe the lights are going to come on. How many believe? You know, Jean Darnell's word. And so I'm going to take you to Germany very quickly. Next slide. You just click for me. This is in Nuremberg and Ben Fitzgerald in Awakening Europe. I don't know if you're aware, but incredible young people met sort of Ben, and this was the first Awakening Europe they did. And um, Todd White, Ben Fitzgerald, and just a group of these young guys, they didn't really know what they were doing or how to do it, but they just knew that God had called them to start prayer meetings called Awakening Europe, and they chose Nuremberg first. And um, they went hired the stadium. They didn't really have much of a budget for it. So they did it all by social media, Facebook, Interconnect. And so 29 nations showed up. They weren't really sure. They didn't really do it a lot of time ahead either. You think it was about four months, about four and a half months. And I remember seeing Ben Fitzgerald. He was up in Telford in, in England. And he just said, well, we're not quite sure what we're doing, but we just felt to do this stadium and on this date, we put it all out. Rachel, if you can help us, get it out there as much as you can. We just need to see what was happening. I was not able to go, but Helen Hayes and my went. And so next slide, please. They turned up. Click. 26,000 people in the stadium from 20, over 29 nations. It was crammed. And in the evening, they preached the gospel. And dear white preach and you think well they're all christians that they, they paid contributed to come and next slide please it's black and white because it is quite dark over two thousand people came forward and cried and gave their lives to jesus and then as we had the days there some people began to do the research and they discovered that to the day 70 years to the day that they made this altar call was the day that Hitler had stood up and commissioned the youth for the Youth Reich of Germany, sent them out from the stadium, the Nuremberg Stadium, and sent them out. And 70 years to the day, dear Ben and Todd White happened to hire the stadium for these dates. They had five days and started the Awakening Europe prayer meetings. And right across Europe, I think the next one was, if I remember, in Stockholm. Then I think it's Vienna, I think, is this year. And um, just in different cities for different landmark events. But just look, Awakening Europe, and you'll just see, but right across, filling stadiums with incredible young people with a passion to see Jesus, to make his name great. And we can think nothing's happening but look what Jesus can do. Isn't that unbelievable what just happens? So next slide, please. It's time for transformations. God really spoke to me. He said, it's time for transformations. And five years ago, I was sitting in Sydney 
talking to a woman called Margaret Stump, who's the dean of the um, Hillsong Bible School there, or one of the deans. And I've known her for many years, and we're just sitting talking. She said, I would love you to meet someone called Margaret St um, um, Sharon Eason. And she's a daughter in the Lord to me who has got a heart for Moldova, but she doesn't really know what she's doing. She needs help. And if you could connect with her, I really feel you could help her. So we're sitting having this conversation. While we're sitting having this conversation, I just want to sh share with you what God's doing in the nations at this time. My co-worker, Helen, is in Luton doing the missions day for urban saints. And um, so she's there taking that day. And she texts me. She said, Rachel, I don't know if you're awake. I was. She said, I'm sitting with someone called Sharon Eason. She's just over from Moldova. I really feel we need to connect. Can I give you, can I give her all your details? And she's saying she would love you to come and preach at the women's conference in Moldova. So I hand the phone to Margaret. Margaret starts crying. She says, Rachel, please, this is God. So let's carry on. So there's Moldova. It's that little green nation sandwiched between Ukraine and Romania. It is now officially the poorest nation in Europe, poorer than Albania. It has 4.8 million people who live there, but about 2.9 million are actually resident in Moldova. Many Moldovans now work in Western Europe. And both parents work in Western Europe, leaving their children, not as orphans, but under the care of the village. They have sort of village structures. And those villages have grandparents that sort of run the villages. But unfortunately, when Moldova fell off USSR, it sort of got a little bit abandoned. And if honest, it's become a bit of the funnel for the sex trafficking of Europe. So Latvia, Georgia, many of the kids get abducted, etc., and funneled through this nation. They call it desensitizing for this trade. In other words, they use alcohol, etc., to just form them into what they need. So naive little Rachel goes to do this women conference, walks into Moldova, next slide please, and God just grips me. And so we've been on a journey with Moldova, and if you look at the back, on the back table, I am very greedy for things, but you'll see a card with girls on it. If actually after today you just feel I'd love to do that, just pick up one of those cards, slip it in your Bible and pray for them. Those are the girls from our first center in Rishkan, which we call our Princess Academies. And we've built a whole lot of homes. I haven't got all those slides. I just chose the next one. Because I walked into Moldova and it was like God just spoke to me from Isaiah 59. Do not turn your back on your own flesh and blood. And you see, I'm a missionary kid. I grew up in India. I've served the Indians. I've grown up, I went as a missionary to Africa. I've served the Africans. And now I'm in Europe and I felt like God said, don't turn your back on your own. This is your continent. You know, you've given your life to India. You've given your life to Africa. What about Europe? And I just felt, okay, God, what can, what can I do? I'm not a big organization. I can't do a lot. But we began working in Rishkan. God gave us money. We bought land. We built houses. And those girls are the first eight, 12 girls that moved into our very first home of our Princess Academy. Then we've moved to the next big city, which is Belts, which is the second largest. Um, Chisinau is the capital. Belts is the big Russian enclave where all the Russian university was. And um, 
we've partnered with a wonderful couple called Charlotte and Johannes. And they're Danish missionaries that worked in Ukraine for 27 years, and they're now in Moldova. And they said, we've got a dream to build a church, refuge center, entrepreneurial center, business thing. And this is my dream. And so I said, well, I'm ge- I believe God's going to help me be a resourcer. And I just began to believe for money. I thought, well, what can I give? Can't go and live there, but I can create wealth for the kingdom of God. And so I just began to believe, not because I had money, but that God could just give me money. So as money began to come in, every time I got 10,000, I'm talking U.S. because I do a lot in America, a lot here, and they wanted it in U.S. dollars. Every time I got 10,000 U.S. dollars, I sent it. I sent it. And so let's go on a journey. So we started this last June. And this is the journey of belts. Just click the slide for me. So that was the building we actually bought. <laughs> Doesn't quite look the same. And I looked at Johannes and I said, really? This is that? He said, don't worry, Rachel. I am meticulous. <laughs> and you have a look at what he's now done. And we just click through. So they began to convert all of the upstairs. There will be 40, at least 47 spaces for these girls. I was trying to looking at... I've had to grow up quite a bit to even understand what happens. Because in the villages, what they do is they just ply at particular seasons of life. You can just keep clicking them for me if you can. And I'll tell you when to stop, but you'll get an idea. Here's one of the girls saying, this is going to be mine. <laughs> And all the spaces and places. So this is the first set of girls moving into this house. And just seeing the life of Jesus on them. Just pause it there for me. But these girls, we had taken them back. These are actually the younger girls from our Rishkan camp. And they went back at some time. And what I didn't realize is in these villages, the Russian mafia actually have incredible control. And so they go in at certain times of years and they just ply it. They just take free alcohol, vodka particularly, and think, and they ply this village for about two weeks until everyone's drunk and out of control. Unfortunately, the end result is that we have many girls who are end up pregnant. Nobody knows who's parented what and how it has happened. And so then the social services and voted comas turn up. And the first time I did this, I thought they really were the social services. And um, in fact, the little girl right on the front on the right, we rescued her at the age of 12, pregnant. And at 13, she gave birth. And um, they've got this baby. They don't know what to do. So the social service come to the village to take the child and the baby. They take the baby into a care center, which I thought was legitimate, but actually it's just a funnel. Because I'd never processed any of this. And I had... I have to say that the British High Commission and the ambassador of Moldova has been outstandingly helpful to us. And he sat me down with Bill Trevor and said, come on, I'm afraid I'm going to have to help you grow up. And I'm like, he said, where do you think baby paedophilia comes from? Where do you get your under three-year-olds? Where do you get your under five-year-olds? He said, what they do is they literally drunk the villages get the girls pregnant, social services under the Russian mafia, take the children, put them into homes, and you can work it out. Then that's the supply chain. And he just looked at me and said, do you realize what you're doing? This is dangerous. And I'm suddenly like, 
Oh, Jesus, we just thought we're going to be kind of build a few homes. So that's why I'm saying, please take those cards, pray for them. Pray for Johannes and Charlotte, pray for ourselves. The one great thing is Sharon Eason, the name I mentioned, if you Google it, she was just given the British Empire Medal Award for outstanding service for our country in foreign affairs for serving these girls. So actually our work is being recognized. Not that that matters, but I just thought, thank you, Jesus, that, you know, we just randomly do things. So often we randomly do things and God just makes it great. And so these precious little ones, we've been able to save them, put them in safe places, save them from that terrible process, which don't even like to think about, but suddenly you can work the rest out. So let's just keep clicking. So the, that is that, gone back to orders, a bit wrong, but that's back to belts. That's what dear Johannes and his team have done with those rooms. This is these girls. Isn't that phenomenal? So we just click through. He's done an outstanding job. So these are the girls moving in. We've made them proper homes. And they take proper responsibility. <laughs> and so we've got all sorts of different girls. So that's what you've given to today. And we just keep clicking. Oh, that's the same one. It's come back around. So this is back in Rishkan, the other one. And so at summertime, they go out. And these girls were just amazing. They, at this age, said, can we please go out to the villages and tell other people our story that Jesus saved? So they, they're going out and just telling one another, there is Jesus, there is hope. We don't have to do it. But, so do keep clicking. Oh, her, she's um gypsy background. Oh, she was so abused and broken. Couldn't talk for ages. You can just see her head's beginning to lift and beginning to talk. And so that's the upstairs of that huge building. Downstairs, we believe in church. Uh, I could get a lot of EU funding, etc., but because I am determined to put Jesus at the heart of everything, that puts limitation. So I would rather... Start and trust God, but put Jesus there. So we're building church right at the bottom. We believe that none of these kids can really get redeemed and healed unless they really have Jesus. And so we've watched the Jesus Factor just renew them. So they've got a whole dance studio, music studio, building church. You can see it's not quite done. And also alongside this, they've got all sorts of business entrepreneurs. I had a friend in Norway who's an um, incredible baker, and she said, can I build you a bakery? I'm like, what do I need a bakery for? And then Helen, who works me, she said, Rachel, think of missions. I thought, oh, because I'm thinking, why would I want a bakery? And so she has partnered with one of the churches in Ugen, and they have built a pizzeria. And so they, the church has literally become Bethel, house of bread. Yeah. It smells of hot bread, <laughs> and they hand out bread. But they've actually handed out pizzas. And then what they do with the, the extra, they feed the widows. And they feed the orphans and things. And it's become the most incredible evangelistic outlet. And so it's just, I love watching the ingenuity of God. In another of the churches, Kanesh, um, you notice in the building, it had no doors and windows. Really, really hard to get. Apparently, they buy them nearly all from Romania. So we've got another couple, Leo and Sam from Hatfield. And they have gone out to um, uh, Kornesh or Moldova. And he is a builder by trade. And so he's training up the Anna to do 
doors and windows. And so now all the doors and windows that we've got in our building have been made by these young people from Cornish Church and they've converted the whole basement into a business centre making doors and windows and providing for it. I just love the ingenuity of what God does. So next slide, please. And this was back in Ugain another time when we... We did a, a banquet of celebration to serve all the women. You know, they walked in there and they just cried. They cried for two reasons. They did not know that there were so many other Christians. And you forget they've come out of communism and all that pressure, all being hidden, all being divided, all being stolen. And they walked into this room and they were just, I can't remember, there were hundreds, weren't they, of, of people that had just come together. You can't see quite how many there were. And that just... Wow, don't we look good? And hasn't God been good? And raised us up. I think that's it, is that it? Oh, here's all the girls. But on Christmas Day, we all respectfully went to the Italian chapel. And the leader of this group then began to preach, I thought, exactly right to me. And he said, guys, what good is it if you guys gain the whole world and you lose your own soul? I was furious. <laughs> How dare anybody preach at me on Christmas Day of all days? And I was so furious, I went to my colonel. I said, do you mind if you could give me three years leave from the army to go to Cambridge University? I didn't tell him to, that what I was going to do. But in those days, you could actually get three years scholarship to go to Cambridge or go to university. And I actually went to Cambridge for three years on military salary, they paid all my university fees as well, which was amazing. And uh, I turned up there and just began to start disproving religion. And it's quite easy to, to look at all religions, because if you look at religion, every religion is a mirror image of the society, control system that, that, has, that it's trying to sustain, including religious Christianity. And so once I'd finished this dissertation on on uh, disproving religion, I began to meet these pain-in-the-neck people, these called born-again Christians. Do you know them? And uh, I thought, what do you do with these people? Because they would say, hey, great, you got rid of religion. Now you've got to realize that real Christianity is a relationship with Jesus. And I thought, right. And I began to start reading every book I could to disprove Jesus and prove he was a fraud, a charlatan, everything. God seemed to kind of like this challenge. February 74 arrived, and we had a, a mission in Cambridge, February 74, when the Holy Spirit swept through Cambridge. An evangelist arrived. I tried every way, every trick in the book to stop students go to that mission. They went like lemmings and they fell into the, re the, the religious abyss and became Christians, including Nikki Gumbel, who wrote the Alpha Course, and Nikki Lee and Scylla, who did the marriage course, Ken Costa, who funds all of the, the Alpha stuff. Literally 150 students came to Christ, many of them now bishops, the current, I think 13 bishops, the current Archbishop of Canterbury got saved through one of the, the Nickies who got saved during that time. I was furious that I couldn't stop them going. So I'd been kicked out of college by that time because I was drunk every evening and always climbing up the buildings. 
which is one of my other passions, was climbing. But I was on my houseboat. I was living in a houseboat on the river, um, still at university, but um, out, of uni out of residence. And I started writing down on the houseboat the day after the mission why this was such a con. And as I was doing it, writing it, suddenly the presence of God just flooded the boat. Literally, God came onto the boat. And you can't explain things like that, but literally the presence of God just overwhelmingly just, it was, he was just there. I found myself on my knees sobbing and sobbing and sobbing because whatever I thought, he was right there. And in the middle of my weeping, I just got up and wrote at the bottom of my notes, I can never turn back. I know Jesus is alive and he's the son of God. And I sprinted across Cambridge to, uh, to find a church. As I walked in this church, this place called Holy Trinity, there were students just there worshipping God. And I just thought, this is amazing. All these students just who know God. It was the beginning of an extraordinary journey for me because I knew that I knew that this was true. I joined the Christian Union. I knew the Bible better than all of them because I'd spent all that time trying to disprove it. I mean, this was an extraordinary thing, but I was in church for 18 months, and I thought, well, you know, Christians, they're, they're, they're just, they're, they're idiots. They don't do anything. I'm going to do stuff. I'm going to help the alcoholics, help the drug addicts. And I spent all my spare time out on the streets helping people and doing stuff. And the trouble is that I didn't have Jesus inside. I knew it all up here. Now, God can speak th through a donkey, and he spoke to me through an Irish alcoholic. And one of these al Irish alcoholics called Andy, he, he, after 18 months, he just looked me in the eye, and he said, ah, to be sure. He said, you're a total hypocrite. He said, at least I'm filled with a little bit of the spirit. But you, you have nothing in you, absolutely nothing in you. That was like a ton of bricks. I was hit, and I just knew, I knew it all up here. There was absolutely nothing of the Spirit of God in me. Do you know, I'm so glad God let me go through 18 months of that, because I meet countless people that are in church, but Jesus is not in them. So many at universities who've been intellectually converted, but they don't know Jesus inside. And so I began to run and run and run because I couldn't work it out. How do you get Jesus inside? Nobody told me. And so I, still in the army, and on, during the vacation, I ran away. My, my unit was doing exercises in Canada. So I traveled across to Canada. I did the exercises across Alberta. And then I still had a couple of months, uh, or more than that, free. And so I hitchhiked all the way up Canada to get as far away from God as possible. And I literally ended up in the furthest north Eskimo village called Taktiaktak. And Taktiaktak, literally I was just dropped off by a seaplane and I thought, great, I can just relax now because God's a million miles away and it's not gonna bug me here. And as I walked into the village, I w went past the door of, uh, I w went past a hut and the door was open. And I heard this, this babbling inside. And I looked in, and there was this little group of Eskimo in a circle with their hands in the air. <laughs> uh, and I thought, 
did you beat me here, God? How did you get here? And I was, I thought, this is, this is crazy. I can't get away from God. So I spent some time there helping the, the, the village leader building houses, prefabricated houses. houses. And then I got arrested by the mounted police because they'd heard that this British army officer was living very disheveled up in the, with the Eskimos. So they arrested me, and I said, look, I, I, I'm on leave. I'm at university. They didn't believe me, so they kept me under house arrest down in Inuvik for uh, several days. And eventually, they came very red-faced and said, look, we've discovered that you know, this is true. And uh, they flew me free of charge all the way back to Medicine Hat. Then I got on a military flight back to, to, to Cambridge. But it was my final year at university. And I just began to read and read and read and read and read and read the Bible. I didn't go to any lectures for weeks. And I just, I was so desperate to, to connect to the truth. And sometimes when you've been brought up as I was with, with incredible arrogance and independence, um, it takes quite a while for that arrogance and independence to finally come to a place of brokenness. And God let me come to a place of such desperation, such brokenness. And I remember October 75, while I was just reading the Bible, suddenly God spoke to me. Not audibly, but God just clearly spoke to me and said, how is it that you can know me? It's not by believing in me, because the devil believes and he trembles. He said, you will only really know me intimately by putting everything in my hands. It's, it's total surrender or nothing. For a military guy, that meant a lot. Total surrender or nothing. He said, everything, all the good, all the bad, I want everything in my hands. And I just bailed out, knelt down, gave him everything. I was flooded, literally flooded with the Spirit of God. It was, it was like opening up a tap. I, I was just overwhelmed with that sense of just being loved, all the burdens going, everything. It was like suddenly he was, he was in me. And you know, I physically changed in our family where we were, we were a very, very cold, um, emotionless family. Never would shake my dad, never hug my dad, no, no connection, no, wouldn't even touch his hand. I was hugging everybody. I was just, <laughs> I was just, whoa! You know, I was overwhelmed with the love of God. It changed me completely. But I had to go back into the army. And during that time back in the army, God began to change and dynamite my British little view of God. Because so often we, we think of God in this little box. So he gave me three experiences which, which showed me who he was. The first one was that I went from north of Germany. I was living in Celle, north Germany. I went uh, across to the East German border to Wolfenbüttel, where there was a Bible school. And as I was in these meetings, literally the Spirit of God came down exactly the same as it was in that boat. Not quite as strong, but literally the, the healing presence of God came in that room. There was a boy sitting next to me who had terminal brain tumors. He was, he was told he was going to die. He just began to, he jumped up and he screamed, there's fire in my head. All of his tumors dis disappeared. There was a girl there who I had seen um, at the beginning who, who her, her legs and hip were distorted. She just barely could, could, could walk around the room like this. And literally her face was distorted, her hips, everything. 
I watched the Spirit of God flooding from the top of her head down through her feet. She leapt out of her chair, began to sprint around the building. It looked as though her whole face was straightened as well. Beautiful, just a glory of God on her. I think, wow, big God. It just overwhelmed me that God was that big. He could do this stuff. And then I went, (coughs) I heard about um, a German conference down in Nuremberg, same place that Rachel mentioned the central place where Hitler operated with the German youth. I heard that they were having a conference down there. So in those days, I I, I just prayed naive prayers. I just said, God, I haven't got a clue where the conference is. Could you show me where the conference is? And I need a bed for the night. So I drove down all the way from Celle to Nuremberg, several hours drive. As I drove into the city, quite a big city, my tire blew up outside this hotel. So I, I walked into the hotel to get help, and I discovered that is where everybody was living for the conference. And as I came out, there were two people standing by my car waiting to change the tire. Now, I only afterwards began to discover what Rachel's talking about, of angels. And I thought, whoa, <laughs> maybe I was hijacked by angels, because they just said, w- you know, we just want to change your tire for you. And so they changed my tire. But I went to that conference, and it was the most extraordinary presence of God. And... Uh, at the end of it, um, I, just, I just thought, well, I don't have anywhere to stay. So I just stood at the, the door of the church. And I thought, God, surely somebody's going to offer me a bed for the night. But nobody did. So as I was walking away from the church, I saw this little short guy panting, running up and saying, ah, so glad you're still here. God's just sent me back to collect you. And I thought, wow, that's, a, that's cool. I've never had that before. And he took me back to his home. And he... He said, tell me, uh, how did you as a British Army officer become a Christian? Now, I discovered this guy was a Canadian missionary in Germany, and he was really depressed because his wife had really given up on God because her dad had been killed in an accident and was really bitter against God. And they both felt God had lost their telephone number. They were just feeling just, what are we doing here? And as I began to tell this story of how God chased me all the way up Canada to a little village called Taktiakta, they both just sat there with tears streaming down their cheeks. They said, this can't be. They said, how can God do this? He said, he said I was that missionary that went up to Taktiakta. He said, those Christians, they may have been people that I led to the Lord. I thought, God, how do you do this? Big God. And so God was just breaking this English view of who he was and getting me to realize he does this stuff. And then I heard about another meeting down in uh, Schloss Hulach, which is a youth with a mission base right at the southern part of Germany. And I traveled down there, and uh, I got leave from the army. I went down there for, for a week. But as I was there, we, there was an extraordinary sense of desperation amongst the the YWAM students. And every time we we were meeting, people started standing up saying, I mean, they're all spirit-filled people, saying, I don't know where God's gone to. I just feel so hardened. I haven't cried for months. I just feel, come on, God, where are you? What, 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 What are you doing? And I remember, one by one, people began to get real about their spiritual life, real openness and brokenness. And it was at the moment when one girl stood up and said, do you know, guys, 
I, I, I haven't, you know, I feel really hard. I haven't cried in prayer for two months. I just feel so backslidden. Suddenly heaven opened. And the Bible talks about the glory of God as the kabod, the heavy presence. Literally, the heavy presence of God flooded into that room. So heavy that every one of us was literally picked off our seats and pressed like on, with an elephant on top of us, pressed onto the floor. We were just lying on the floor, weeping, sobbing. And it's the only time of my life I've ever audibly heard God speak to me. It was just such an extraordinary, it wasn't condemning. It was just God trying to get me to believe his love. And that experience ruined me for just doing church as normal. If it's not the real thing, it's not the real thing. I can't do with religion. We've got to know the presence. Rachel talked about it today. Some people just settle for community. We've got to have the presence. We've got to know that, he, that he's there, that we're with him, we're in him. And so that was the beginning of, of, of uh, our days. Shall I, shall I finish now? I think I'll... I, I mean, I could go on all evening, but I mean, that basically after that, you know, I went into business, I started a business, I, for five years I was running a Christian business uh, in the Middle East, and then God called us to go to Africa, and that's when the, the, the fun started, we got called to go to Africa to work with Reinhard Bonke, we both became the crusade directors for, uh, for, for Reinhard Bonke, and we could talk for several hours, but I'm going to give it, have it to Rachel because Rachel had the most incredible experience as we joined that. Are you going to tell that story or not? So why don't we stand up for a moment? I think we need to move. <laughs> then we can turn seven. I want you to maybe get into threes and just pray. I don't know what's in your heart, but Gordon's told a lot of things. Maybe he's stirred a bit of hunger in you. Maybe there's just something, God, I need some more. Maybe you need healing. Maybe you need a touch of God. Maybe there's just something going on in your life. Why don't we just take a moment, just find something. Father, we just ask you to come. We just pray that you're blessed. We just ask for your presence to come. If you're hungry, maybe some of you here, you're just saying, God, use me to touch Muslim people. Maybe some of you just saying, God, I've got hard. Whatever it is, just find someone. Just share what's on your heart. Father, we're just asking you, give us more. Give us more. Give us more. Just come, Holy Spirit. We're asking for that presence of God. Holy Spirit. I pray for that refreshing, Lord. Pray for that refreshing. New hope, hope, expectations stirred, Father. We thank you for all the stories in this room. Thank you for every story. Thank you for every story. Thank you for salvation coming to our homes, Lord. 
Oof, thank you for salvation coming to our homes. Thank you for people who have stood stubborn and hard for long times. Father, we just believe salvation is coming to our houses, Lord. <laughs> salvation coming to our houses. <laughs> So just be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> More of you, Lord. Just come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Father, I pray, just show us that big God. Show us the harvest fields. Show us what you can do. We thank you, hundreds and thousands. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Just drink it in. Let that kabod of God come upon us. Let that heavy presence. Jesus. Give us more, give us more, give us more. <laughs> give us more, give us more, give us more. Father, I thank you for the journeys and the stories. I just keep feeling there's stories in the room. I just feel God will say to many of you, you haven't finished writing the story and it's got a bit stuck. There's another pages, there's more chapters. It's a bit like Gordon, you know, told that story of going up to Tuck Dick Tuck. But then it was a few years later, God said, no, that wasn't the end of the story. Here's another part of it. And here's another part of it. And God even wants to wake up in your minds memories of this links to this, this links to this. There's great parts of your stories. Thank you, Jesus. Mm. Bless you, Lord. Father, we thank you for your healing power. Thank you for your healing power. And we do just ask that you literally soak us, just as Gordon saw, phenomenal things. We just pray, soak us with the presence of the healing power of God. Soak it, in Jesus' name. Amen.
maybe we just, I'll just tell you maybe two different things. I had this thing about the seed of the nation. And I just, you know, even what we're praying now, you see, it's, I just want you to understand something. It starts with a seed. Say it to someone, it starts with a seed. You see, when you have a prophetic word or something's given to you, you prophesy the big story. But how does the story start? It starts with the seed. And so all the promise, all you have, like prophesied over Jez this afternoon and the, the business and everything, but it starts with the seed. It starts with the sperm. You never get the full oak tree delivered. It starts with the seed. And so if we can click this. This was brought to our home in January. It comes from Hernhut. How many know where Hernhut is? It's just on the border of Germany and the Czech Republic. And this is where Count Zenzendorf, how many have heard of Count Zenzendorf and the Moravian Revival? 100 years prayer meeting. And they, they had prayed in this hut for Europe for 100 years. And then if you remember, the Moravian Revival went out and the missionaries went everywhere. Do you remember all of that? Well, the Jesushusen, the Jesus house there, where Count Zenzendorf and his people had this 100-year prayer meeting. It needed renovation, so they had to take out some of the beams. So this was one of the beams they took out. They were about to throw it, and God said to them, no, you're not to do that. You're to cut these beams up into pieces, and I will give you names. And so we had this wonderful girl, Sue Williams. She's now Sue, what's her married name? Abraham, I think. Um, turn up at our house and she came for lunch we talked it was nice to see her etc nothing and then we began to pray and we began to pray and obviously she had been given a sign code from God and as we began to pray and I said stuff she suddenly went into a bag and bought this out and I didn't bring it with me but it's a chunky size of wood it's most probably about the size of that speaker maybe about that isn't it about like that chunky size of and it smells it is absolutely fragrant isn't it it's the most beautiful smell and God had woken me up at the beginning of this year and he said Rachel you need to understand it starts with a seed I'm giving you seed for the nation she walks into my house and said yours was one of the names Gordon and Rachel Hickson we were a prayer group and your name was put into the hat twice by two different people, that we had to come and bring you this. What is it called? The seed of the nation. So I took this. I just want to show you times and seasons, stories of God. You see, you're, you're, you're part of a journey and a story. We don't even understand it. So here I am waking up. It starts with a seed. I then get this woman, travel all the way from the Czech Republic with this block of wood. We pray together. I say something, triggers it. She releases the gift. Seed for the nation. Next slide, please. It's a quote by William Penn. Read it. There may be room there for such a holy experiment, for the nation wants a precedent, and my God will make it a seed of a nation, that an example may be set up to the nations, that we may do the thing that is truly wise and just. What an incredible quote. And you see, here is a man called William Penn, and guess where that was downloaded to him? 
Christ Church, Oxford. He's sitting in Christ Church, Oxford, just discovered that his family, his father, has gambled away all his lands and inheritance. He's lost everything. He's born again, and he feels that God has told him that he is going to set up an experiment where he will be able to model, both in the business world, community world, and church world, some, a whole new structure that's just and true to model Jesus. He thought he was given, going to be given land up here, actually, in the northeast. But his father squandered it away and gambled it. So he went and appealed, and in the end, the judge says, you can't have this land, but I'll give you a land called Pennsylvania. And he went on the pilgrim ship and set up Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, as the holy experiment. And here I get given this block of wood, and I live in Oxford, and Helen, my co-worker, went to Christchurch, Oxford, and studied in that very lab. You see, I'm just trying to show you wheels and wheels and wheels. So I began to think, what is this? What is this about? So I'm out walking my dog, and I came to a favorite bit of green sort of bank that I like to walk on. And there's a man very annoyingly standing there with a jackhammer, and he's drilling it all up. And no business of mine, but I suddenly feel very protective. And I said, what are you doing? He said, don't worry, ma'am. Ma'am. Don't worry, ma'am. It will be full of poppies in five months. I said, what? He said, don't worry. It will be full of poppies in five months. And I said, well, how do you know that? He said, because some seeds need to be agitated before they germinate. And a poppy seed needs to be agitated and sure enough, five months later, I went back to that bit of land. And how many of you have noticed bits of, of road that have been dug up? When it comes to swing land, they've all got poppies on. And so I'm walking away, and he said, just wait a minute, come back. He said, don't you understand what happened in the Flanders fields of France? When an army began to walk the land and kick the soil, they agitated the seed that was in the land. And he began to prophesy. I began to think, now, are you an angel or a navvy? I don't know now. Because he educated me. And he said, they kicked the seed that was in the land of France. Nobody knew that the land was full of seed. But because the army agitated the seed, the fields, so click the next one, please. Click, click, click. We're talking. Next one. Next one. Click. Next one. Poppy seeds. Next one. Click. Oh, poppy seeds. And so we all know that. And I felt God is asking you, it starts, let's say with a friend, it starts with the seed. There's seed in your hands, but God is saying agitate it. I want you to imagine you've got seed in your hands and just agitate it between your two hands. Agitate it, rub it. What's the seed? What's the promises? What's the seed of this nation? We need to agitate it. We need to be that army. Stir it. And who knows what will grow? Because something is going to grow. 
Next slide, please. So how do we agitate it? We agitate it with prayer. But I believe also we've been agitating ground with tears. How many of you know tears, water agitates the ground? How many of you know some of the floods? So I had the privilege of just being in America, what was it, about six weeks ago? And I was up in Seattle area, northwest. But when we were there, suddenly the headlines began to hit. Super bloom, super bloom, super bloom. We read in 2 Corinthians 2, 4, I wrote to you out of much affliction. Next slide, please. Click it for me. I wrote to you out of much affliction and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to know that you know the abundant love. You see, this is Paul. I wonder if you're agitated inside, if there's tears, crying for the nation, crying for your family. There's an agitation, stirring. Come on, seed for the nation. Let's stir it. And so while we're thinking about the seed of the nation, I'm in America, super bloom hits the headline. Next slide, please. Just hold it there. This is California. And literally, it's well worth it. I can't do it justice, but if you Google it when you get home, super bloom California, there are huge sways. And this is where, how many remember the great fires of California? The great tears of California, the mudslides. This time, sort of, well, it was more September, October, last year. Th that land was devastated. This is what it looks like now. Next slide, please. Everywhere, it's poppies. But these poppies are fire. Ours ones are red. There's a orange gold. And I just felt as I began to watch this, God says the seed is in the land. And there's going to, and I've been prophesying, sensing, there's a new Jesus movement coming. There's a new Jesus movement coming. There is seed in the land of California. Something's going to happen. Something's going to awaken. And literally, everywhere at Superbloom, it's well worth a Google and watch on the YouTube. It's hundreds of miles of poppies just come. And I just felt God wanted to tell you, super bloom is coming. Super bloom is coming. You know, this isn't an accident. I'm being on a story. I wake up in my house, minding my own business. God says to me, it starts with a seed. Suddenly a girl turns up with this. And I've been on a journey tracking seed and stories. I believe super bloom is coming. God is going to do something far beyond what we can ask or think or imagine. Then we click through maybe two. Gordon and I, the super bloom, the wilderness should be dry. Next one. Gordon and I had the privilege. Yep, carry on going. I'm ahead of you. Super bloom is coming. Next one. Does anyone know what na nation that is? Kuwait. Super bloom is coming. The desert blossoms rose. How many weekends ago? Three years ago? I can't. Three weekends ago, we were in Kuwait. And um, I'm meant to be prophetic and have a rough idea, feel where I'm going. I had no idea of what was going to happen. This is what I want to show you. God is alive and well in the nations. So we arrive in Kuwait. Next slide, please. And that's what you expect Kuwait to look like. A wilderness. That is the highest bit of land in Kuwait. So we went up the high. I tell you, the wind was blowing. It was a bit warmer than the wind down there, but it was blowing. But it bit you because the sand is in it, and that sand it 
bites and stings. We're standing here and just prophesying, come on, wilderness, you will blossom as a rose. Come on, wilderness, we prophesy to you. Now, just thinking about the desert land, the super bloom, it looks nothing. All the little bedwinds and the tents, it's absolutely nothing. Then from there, they take us, they say, come, we'll just show you one of our miles. Next slide, please. Can you see in the middle? Spring up a well. And this geezer, this well, just shoots, I don't know how many feet. How many feet would it have been? 40 foot, something? It's huge. And I thought, here in the middle of the wilderness, in Cray, suddenly spring up a well. We just were prophesying about it this afternoon. And I thought, they have no idea what they're doing. Come on, spring up, oh well. This wilderness is going to blossom as a rose. This is super bloom season right here in Kuwait. So I'm standing in this mall. In one hand, you've got the Bedouins with nothing. And here's the mall. Next slide, please. So this is a little mission compound. What was it? Seven and a half acres, I think it was. In the middle of Kuwait City, opposite the parliament, right opposite the beach, prime, prime land. And it's called the National Evangelical Church of Kuwait, Neck. I just laughed because everything is the neck. And I thought, this is the neck that turns the head. This is the neck that turns the head. It just made me laugh. I thought, what is the story here? The story is there were two American doctors that went there in the early 1900s. They did everything. This wasn't Kuwait with nice water and shopping malls. There was nothing, Bedouin tents and desert, nothing. They did everything to try and bring Jesus. Nothing broke through. It was tough, hard work. And then the emir, because they still had the sort of sheikhs and the royal family, the emir of Kuwait had a daughter, and she went blind. And these two doctors said, let us see her, and they wouldn't. But after we, they let, the doctors saw her, actually discovered it was disease cataracts, did the surgery. A week later, this girl said, I can see, I can see. So the emir donated this land to the church, and no one has touched it to this day. It's primed, seven and a half acres, opposite Parliament. On this compound, they told us that from 7 a.m. on a Friday to 6 p.m. on a Sunday, 10,500 people go through to worship Jesus in 88-0 services. I can't even show you all the different things. Come on, this is Kuwait. And they do it in English, they do it in the Filipino, they do it in many Indian languages and Arabic. Now go figure, they're allowing services in Arabic right there. Thousands, I, I mean you preach five times, how many times do I preach? Six. It was just crazy. It just pre like a preaching machine, we could have carried on all day and night. And the presence of God... And I thought, yeah, I'll go to a few little small people in a little building somewhere. I mean, I've done Egypt and I've done Abu Dhabi and Dubai. I'm used to doing it with all sorts. And here it was just full on, in your face. This is Jesus. Isn't that unbelievable? Next slide, please. I think there's one more. Is there one more? So this was the women's conference I did in Kuwait. 
in one of the five, no, they don't have five stars, seven star hotels. I mean, the chandeliers were unbelievable. You can't even see everyone there. So there we are in a hotel with all the service there. They're singing Jesus Christ for Kuwait. I mean, what were they? Everything. And I was trying to be appropriate, sort of conservative, and just wiggle my way, not say too much. They were full out there. The blood of Jesus saves everyone. And in the end, I thought, well, they're going to do it. In for a penny, out for a pound. It was just, you could not believe. I haven't got the pictures of them dancing. Just this huge horse. Hundreds of women celebrating Jesus right in the middle. It blew my mind. Come on, it's super bloom season. If we will agitate the seed, the seeds are in the nations. The promises are in the nations. And come on, you've got seed in the land. And we need to stir some of that seed, agitate. I think we have no idea what Jesus can do. Amen? I think, is that the last one? Click. I just put through all sorts of pictures together. I think it was like, is that the last one? Yes, they say. Now, how many of you are excited? Can you just stand and pray for a nation other than our nation? We've talked lots of nations. You can pick any nation. But come on, let's just pick our hands to heaven and bless a nation. Ask of me and I will give you nations. Come on, just press in. Father, we right now hear our cry. We want to ask you. We want to agitate seed of the nations. We thank you. Incredible things are going to happen. Incredible things are going to happen. America, England, Kuwait, Moldova, Germany. Oh, we've caused so many. Father, we just agitate the sea. We thank you. This is the day. This is the time. We thank you for super bloom. We thank you for incredible breaking forth. <laughs> In Jesus' name. And now I want you to turn to one person and lift your hands. You can stand up. I like standing up. And I want you to get their hands and I want you to agitate that seed. Agitate the promises. I want you to say, I'm going to stir it up. Every word of God, every promise of God, we agitate it. We stir it. This is super bloom season. God is going to stir it up, wake it up. You're going to see growth. <laughs> it's agitation time. <laughs> Every promise of God. <laughs> Every promise of God. Super bloom. In Jesus' name. Is that good? Are we done? So there's the story. God really bless you. God really bless you. People out there, one thing. Yes, I was in a wheelchair at one time. And yes, I should have been dead. I had a funeral arranged for me. October 27, 1984. But Jesus heals. He absolutely heals. So that was what was on my website. When we went to Zimbabwe, we were run over by a seven-ton army truck in the middle of Harare, Zimbabwe, while I was giving first aid to someone else who'd been in a road accident. I was run over by the truck, Rachel truck sandwich. Everything from my hips down was smashed. I don't know how much you do it, but it's huge. That's amazing. 
can see my legs are extra shapely all the way up where the truck went through. And I had a brain coma. I was in a brain coma, should have died. But they prayed for me and my brain was instantly restored. But my legs weren't. It took four years for my legs to get healed. Medicine and miracles. And finally a man challenged me and said, now do what you couldn't do before I pray. I thought his prayer was pretty miserable after a Reinhardt Bonker type prayer because I was used to real Reinhardt. And he sort of said, oh, Jesus, if you're almost, Father, I just thank you for this road track of accident. Just sort this ligament, do this, do that, do the other. Now stand up. I felt absolutely nothing. I thought, that's not a real prayer. Get Reinhardt Bonker on the job. And I was just, I really was not, but I knew I had to do something. And my left leg was about two and a half inches shorter and internally related. So I walked like this. I walked over the top. Always felt I was falling. I took off my left shoe first, great woman of faith, because I knew I could stand on that. And as I took off my right shoe, my heel touched the ground. And both of my heels totally touched the ground today. Absolutely straight. And that is with my kneel and ankle with 35 degrees rotated. They were set like that. But the Holy Spirit broke them, realigned them, extended them. Thank you, Jesus. And I am healed today. Absolutely healed. She even has a certificate which says she's brain normal. (laughs) Which I don't have. So if you think I'm crazy, show me your certificate. I can show you mine. (laughs) 